The cutting was extremely deep and unusually precipitate. It was made through a clammy stone that became oozier and wetter as I went down. For these reasons, I found the way long enough to give me time to recall a singular air of reluctance or compulsion with which he had pointed out the path. When I came down low enough upon the zigzag descent to see him again, I saw that he was standing between the rails on the way by which the train had lately passed, in an attitude as if he were waiting for me to appear. He had his left hand on his chin, and that left elbow rested on his right hand, crossed over his breast. His attitude was one of such expectation and watchfulness that I stopped a moment, wondering at it. I resumed my downward way, and stepping out upon the level of the railroad and drawing nearer to him, saw that he was a dark, sallow man with a dark beard and rather heavy eyebrows. His post was in as solitary and dismal a place as ever I saw. On either side, a dripping wet wall of jagged stone excluded all view but a strip of sky. The perspective one way, only a crooked prolongation of this great dungeon. The shorter perspective in the other direction, terminating in a gloomy red light, and the gloomier entrance to a black tunnel, in whose massive architecture there was a barbarous, depressing and forbidding air. So little sunlight ever found its way to this spot, that it had an earthy, deadly smell. And so much cold wind rushed through it, that it struck chill to me, as if I had left the natural world. HPPodcraft.com That was from the opening section of Charles Dickens' The Signal Man, setting the scene there for a classic ghost story. And you are listening to the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. Here at hppodcraft.com, I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And I'm Chris Lackey. Uh, We're talking about a Charles Dickens story on the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast uh, because HP Lovecraft mentioned Charles Dickens as a source of weird fiction inspiration in his essay, Supernatural Horror Literature. Yeah, in that introductory section, he mentions that there are some authors who don't normally write weird tales, but sometimes knocked out a few, Dickens among them. Now, when we had done our shows on Supernatural Horror Literature, we were speculating, well, what story was he talking about? Because I had read one when I was younger about a trial that had a ghost story in it, but um, a lot of people wrote in and said, no, 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 if you're going to cover one of these stories, you have to do The Signal Man. That's a really good one. Right. And actually, when I did look further into the essay, that is also the one that, that Lovecraft mentions. Right. He, he wrote, Dickens now rises with occasional weird bits like The Signal Man, a tale of ghostly warning conforming to a very common pattern, in touch with a verisimilitude which allies it as much with the coming psychological school as with the dying gothic school. Which is an interesting um, context to think about as we discuss this. There's a lot of psychological going on, and then there's also the romantic kind of ghost story element of this. And it's a yeah. little hard to untangle exactly what's happening. So that's what you and I are kind of tasked with doing. And I, it, we should get through the story fairly quickly, because I think we're going to spend some time discussing what the heck right. is actually even right. going on in here. I want to mention that our reader was, once again, uh, Marty Jobson. Yeah, Marty. He's back and in action. And Marty is uh, a science presenter for the BBC, correct? Yep, yep. He's uh, often on the one show and he does uh, live shows all around the country and um, all types of fun things. But he's a big science guy and uh, lots of fun. Thanks so much again for reading, Marty. You got a great voice, specifically for this Dickens kind of stuff. I mean, this is really how I hear it in my head. So (laughs) I'm glad to have Marty on here. I wanted to mention real quick before we do dive in that this is our free show. So it's open to everybody. 
Mm-hmm. If you haven't subscribed, I would urge you to do it. And as a little incentive, think about this. We've already done two shows on the repair of reputations yep. by Robert Chambers. We also did coverage on the story The Yellow Sign by him. Those stories are both awesome. And then in this last month, we covered The Yellow Wallpaper by Charlotte Perkins Gilman, which is great. I mean, it's like a classic story. A lot of people got really excited about that one. The Monkey's Paw. And we did The Monkey's Paw by W.W. Jacobs, which is a, just a killer story. So all of those are waiting for you to listen to. If you subscribe, you get the entire back catalog. And The Upper Birth. You forgot about The Upper Birth. And The Upper Birth, which we just covered last week, uh, oh which gosh. was a really cool uh, F. Marion Crawford story about a ship and a, a ghostly passenger on that ship. So, and guys, if you subscribe now, you're going to get the next three months of shows, but you're also going to get those great shows that are already sitting there waiting for you. We're talking... Yeah. Great content for a car trip or cleaning your house or, or whatever you want to do. So please subscribe. It's still open. We still want people to get on board with this so we can keep going with it. We're having a real good time right now. I mean, you had said, uh, Chris, to me, and we didn't say it on the show, but you're like, man, it's awesome not covering Lovecraft stories anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I I hate saying that because yeah. a lot of those, but a lot of those Lovecraft stories were pretty terrible. And uh, we're covering some of the best weird fiction ever yeah right now so it's and a lot of these i've never read so i'm really excited to be jumping into this and getting all this new cool stuff and also reading about these authors that i didn't know anything about before either and yeah and i mean i learned something cool about uh, charles dickens uh, after reading this uh the story which we'll talk about at the end of it yeah the, the business with the train right exactly well okay fine i guess we'll talk about it now no no you don't have to talk <laughs> about it now but i mean I, I i didn't know that either and it was funny because i thought well we don't need to talk much about dickens right Right. Because obviously Dickens is one of the most famous authors in the English language. And he's certainly among the very best of the 19th century, yeah. if not one of the best writers of all time. Uh, yeah. And obviously everybody knows him because of one of the most famous ghost stories in the world, A Christmas Carol. I think that's his most adapted and most famous story. But that's just I mean, you see that every Christmas, whether you want to or oh not. God. I mean, it's going to get adapted. Yeah. But in Oliver some way, Twist, The Tale of Two Cities, Great Expectations. Uh, come on. David Copperfield, Bleak House, all of this stuff is just great, fantastic literature. And and most people have had to read some Dickens at some point or another. But he was mostly focused on social issues because he had a poverty stricken childhood where he wound up in a workhouse. And so a lot of the things that he wrote were kind of addressed toward inequality in society, treatment of children, poverty, great expectations in particular. You know, that's my favorite novel. The other thing about him is that his novels were serialized for the most part. Mm hmm. And a lot of people complain about Dickens for that reason, because he's got sentence. He was getting paid by the word. So he wasn't kidding around. Like if you read A Tale of Two Cities, some of the sentences would give Lovecraft a run for his money. I mean, yeah. they go on and on and on forever. And, you know, he was a reader of his own work, too. Like Poe, he would tour around and, and, and do readings of his work. Well, there's a great episode of Doctor Who where uh, uh, Charles Dickens is in the episode. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And he says, uh, the doctor says, oh, I love that, that, that story you did about the ghosts. And uh-huh. everybody thinks he's talking about uh, a Christmas Carol, but he's actually talking about the single man. Heck, you know, we might as well talk about since we're on Dickens. What was it that happened that, that we were talking <laughs> about a second ago? He was in a train crash, huh. a railway. It was called the the Staplehurst Rail Crash, and it happened on June 9th, uh, 1865. He was in the first class train, which is up in the front. There was a rail that was taken out for maintenance, and it somehow it, it was not known that it was taken out or it wasn't put back, and the train went over it. The first class one kind of jackknifed and went perpendicular on the track, but every all the other back trains all fell into uh, the river that was nearby. Yeah. He was okay, and he even got out. So he was a pretty old guy, but he still got out and was helping people, was commended for 
being heroic even in, in his old age. And uh, it, 10 people died and 50 people were injured in the train crash. And a lot of people think that that incident probably had something to do with this story. I think it must have because... How could it not? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, the setting and the train and the fact that accidents happen. But also, there's a theme in this story of helplessness in the face of tragedy. That that there's nothing the signal man can do to stop these things from happening. Yeah. You know, I think that after being in this rail crash, Dickens probably felt a sort of guilt. Ten people died and he was uh, he was not hurt. Could he have done something? You know, know, you're you're helpless, but you always feel guilt whether you could have done something or not. And also there was another tra- uh, rail crash that had happened a couple of years before called the Clayton Tunnel rail crash in 1861, uh, mm-hmm. which was at that time the worst accident of uh, the British railway system. Two trains collided inside of a tunnel, Ugh. killed 23 people and injured 176 passengers. So this was very much in his mind when he wrote this story. It was originally published uh, as part of the Mugby Junction Collection, mm-hmm. which is a collection of his stories that was put out in the uh, 1866 Christmas edition of All the Year Round, which is a literary publication. So that's where this first appeared uh, only a year after he had been in that train accident. And, you know, he passed away in 1870. This was written fairly late in his career, but I think it really affected him. Yeah. So let's let's dive into the story. This narrator, the person that's telling the story, mm-hmm. we don't really get a sense of who he is or uh, what what he's doing. I, in fact, I don't. Do you do you know what his job is or why he's even down there at all? The protagonist. Yeah. It was a little puzzling at first because it's sort of like he's just walking along and he sees the signal man down in this pit. Basically, the, the train track goes into a tunnel, so uh, the tunnel goes into the side of a hill. It's his uh, little t- signal man hut. That he stays in is right close down, kind of down. So he's up high and he yells. Yeah. Hello, blow there. And the man turns and looks the other way like he heard the voice from down the line, not from him calling up there. Right. And then they sort of sort out that bit of business and the protagonist comes down to meet him. Mm -hmm. And when he comes down to meet him, that's what we heard in the opening that Marty read there. Now, I actually so this is called a cutting where the signal man is stationed. It was really helpful for me to watch the BBC adaptation of this that you can actually watch on YouTube for free. The full thing's there. It's about 33 minutes long. It's from 1976. It's a really solid adaptation. I mean, dialogue is word for word from the story. For me, not really quite being able to visualize what this cutting was. It was nice to just see it. And also get a better sense of what the signalman's actual job is. Right. Which he's basically a communications expert. There's guys like him all down the line, and they telegraph other people on the line to say things are clear, things are okay, or this railway changed, or this train is coming. Basically, their job is to keep it running on time and keep anybody from getting hurt. Mm -hmm. And so he communicates with the other signalman, and then he also waves a flag to the train when it's coming into the tunnel, kind of let him know everything's all clear. But our protagonist... Is he just nosy? Is he just a lonesome guy? Don't know. They don't. They really don't explain who he is. As the story progresses, I mean, he offers to stay with the signal man in the house overnight. You know, his little signal house because this guy's upset about something. And I'm jumping ahead a little bit here. Yeah, so yeah. Who is this guy that he just meets some random signalman and says, "Hey, you know, I will stay with you if you're feeling yeah. bad or scared." Is like, well, why? Huh? Doesn't he have a job or? Or somebody to stay with or a family, but I guess not. I don't so, know. He says uh, he says a visitor was a rarity for the signal man. And he's hoping that his visit is going to be good. And the only thing he says about it is he says, uh, he writes, in me, he merely saw a man who had been shut up within narrow limits all his life and who, being at last set free, had a newly awakened interest in these great works. So he's sort of been sheltered in some way, and now he's wandering around and he's kind of interested in this marvel of how the trains are working. What does it mean? He's been shut away in an insane asylum or something like that? <laughs> yeah. Like, it made me think maybe the narrator himself is crazy and all of this that happens in the story is a figment of his imagination. Yeah, but the, I mean, there's, I nothing, there's nothing to 
to indicate that though in the story besides no that, there's, that, not, there's that not. line so yeah it's it's really bizarre because i think why this man is here is important but we'll, we'll, let's go on let's just keep going on yeah 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 i was going to say though that, that to me that right right at the beginning and not knowing what the story was going to be that was almost one of the greatest horrors of all is that this guy just comes across and he's like hey down there i'm going to come down and talk to you because i've had jobs before where you're stuck like as a cash register operator sure. like that where it's like you're stuck at the job there's nothing you can do and somebody comes up and starts talking to you and you just kind of have to make conversation with them yeah I, it happens all the time on the bus when i'm riding the bus i feel so bad for the driver because somebody will always get on and stay up in the front and talk to the bus driver. Yeah. He's got to stay there. Yeah, and he can't go anywhere. He's not going to get in an argument with this guy because, you know, but you can tell it's like somebody with conspiracy theories or they're mad about <laughs> something that happened. And there's a lot of conspiracy theorists that seem to ride the bus and they <laughs> want to talk the guy's ear off about it. And there's nothing he can do. So no. I was like, this poor signal man. Yeah, but it doesn't it doesn't end up playing out that way. No, it doesn't. The, the guy comes down, greets the signal man. And the signal man's looking like he's a little weirded out. He, he doesn't understand why the man's down there. It was familiar to him what he had called down to him. Hello, below there. Yeah. He says, were you down ever by those lights or in the tunnel? And he's like, no, man, I've never been down there. I assure yeah. you, this is the first time I've ever come down there. He takes him into the his box where he works. It's yeah. like his little office there, right? Mm -hmm. And he kind of gets to know him a little bit. He's kind of inquiring about the job more than anything. The signal man says, no, I mean, it's a very there's very little to do down here, but I have to be here a lot. So I've been like learning languages and trying to keep myself busy with, with certain stuff. You know, when I was a young man, I was a student of natural philosophy, but I was kind of wild. And so I didn't really take advantage of my opportunities. And as a result, I'm just kind of doing this crappy job. And that's my lot in life. But because he's an educated guy, he's very exact and vigilant about his work and he's very trustworthy. Now, in this initial meeting, something really odd happens with the bell, right? While he's talking with this guy, uh, he, he periodically has to do things because he's got a job. You know, there's a telegraph machine that comes in. There's some there's a bell that rings and he has to go over and do some stuff. There's this one point where a bell doesn't ring and the guy kind of looks up. And goes over and does some things. Yeah, he looks at the bell as if it did, even yeah. though our protagonist knows it didn't. And then he opens his door and he looks out toward the red light near the mouth of the tunnel. And he does this twice. And then when he comes back, he looks a little upset or something. Yeah, concerned, definitely. And then the protagonist says, hey, well, what's what's up? Are you OK? And he goes, oh, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm the little... protagonist kind of manip manipulates him a little. He says, yeah. oh, it seems to me like you're pretty contented down as a way of fishing. you know." Yeah. And that's when he's like, nah, I'm troubled. And he says, you know what? If you come back, you make another visit, I'll try and explain it to you. And he says, OK, I'll come back. I'll come back tomorrow whenever you're on. Let's say, you know, like I'm on at 10. He goes, and then I'll be here at 11. He says, when you come back this time, don't call down. And he just says, oh, OK. When we were watching it, um, Heather goes, why is he telling him to do that? Is there a monster in the tunnel? <laughs> was really, she was afraid that he was like, don't make any noise because you're waking something up. I was like, oh. wow. <laughs> I didn't think of that, but that's pretty no. cool. There's a big monster in the tunnel he's got to take care of. Much different story. He says, don't call out. And then he asks him, what made you cry hello below there tonight? And the protagonist says, I don't know. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It seemed the thing to say. Yeah, I said something like that. And he goes, no, no, no. You didn't say something like that. That's exactly what you said. Was there yeah. a reason for that? Did you feel like it was conveyed to you in any kind of supernatural way? And uh, he was like, <laughs> no. no. <laughs> All right, then. Well, just come back tomorrow. Yep. See ya. <laughs> So he does, right? He comes yeah. back the next night. He's punctual. The signal man says, you know what? You're back and I made up my mind. I'm going to tell you. You don't need to ask me twice. I'll tell you what is troubling me. Yeah. To begin with, I took you for someone else last night and that troubles me. He says, what, what, what do you mean? You'd see somebody who called out what I said before? And he's like, well, it's like you, but I never saw the person's face. They hold their left arm up across their face and they wave the right arm 
like violently, and he demonstrates this for him. Yeah. And when you're reading it, you kind of get a sense of what he's talking about. One arm like shielding the eyes and the other one waving like, like stop, stop, something like that. Yeah. He, he says, he hears it saying, for God's sake, clear the way. The signal man says, uh, One moonlit night, I was sitting here when I heard a voice cry, Hello, below there. I started up, looking from that door and saw this someone else standing by the red light near the tunnel, waving as I just now showed you. The voice seemed hoarse with shouting, and it cried, look out, look out. And then again, hello, below there, look out. I caught up my lamp, turned it on red, and ran towards the figure calling, what's wrong, what has happened, where? It stood just outside the blackness of the tunnel. I advanced so close upon it that I wondered at its keeping the sleeve across its eyes. I ran right up to it and had my hand stretched out to pull the sleeve away. When it was gone, So some kind of apparition of, of, of a warning. When he goes on with the story and he says, well, once I saw that, I, I ran into the tunnel uh, thinking that maybe this guy ran into the tunnel, but realized nobody was in there. So I ran back and I gave the alarm on, on. I said, hey, I've got an alarm. Is anything wrong? And he said up to the front of the line and down down the line. And they all said, no, everything's fine. There's I don't know what you're talking about. So he doesn't know how to deal with this. Yeah, and the, the narrator jumps in on him and says, well, come on now. You're down here all by yourself. You know, things probably are playing tricks on you. You could have heard an imaginary cry. Well, listen to the wind right now, whipping through this unnatural valley. It, may, it plays these strange tones. And <laughs> the right. guy that sets up this pattern that's pretty funny in this conversation where the single man goes, okay, yeah, 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 fine, whatever. But you didn't let me finish yet. I'm not done with my story. <laughs> and he says, within six hours after I saw that, the memorable accident on this line happened, and within 10 hours, the dead and wounded were brought along through the tunnel over the spot where the figure had stood. So there was a crash very much like that mid-tunnel crash that Dickens knew about. Right. Six hours after he'd seen the apparition, two trains collided in the tunnel, and all of these people were, were killed. And then, of course, our protagonist goes, well, that's probably a coincidence. It's not a big, you know, the accidents happen. And he goes, oh, yeah, okay, could be, could be, but I'm still not done with my story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not done yet, man, yeah. Six or seven months passed after that, and just when he was kind of getting over what had happened, one morning, he looks toward the red light, and he sees the same specter. This time it doesn't cry out. It's quiet, and it doesn't wave its arm. It puts both hands before his face like a weeping person or something like, like that. Like the weeping angels in Doctor Who, to go back to Doctor Who. And when he goes to the door, the ghost is gone. Our guy, of course, interrupts him. Nothing followed. Nothing came of it. He's like, well. That very day, as a train came out the tunnel, I noticed at a carriage window on my side what looked like a confusion of hands and heads, and something waved. I saw it just in time to signal the driver, stop! He shut off and put his brakes on, but the train drifted past here 150 yards or more. I ran after it, and as I went along, heard terrible screams and cries. A beautiful young lady had died instantaneously in one of the compartments, and was brought in here, and laid down on this floor between us. Great little detail. He moves his feet when he looks down at where the body had been laid on the yeah. floor. You know? He pushes his chair back and he says, you know, I'm troubled because I've seen the specter again. And it's doing what it was doing the first time where it's got its hand over its eyes. It's waving its arm and saying, for God's sake, clear the way. And then our protagonist kind of starts to put things together. He goes, did it ring your bell yesterday when I was here? It, and he, the guy goes, yeah, I did twice. And he goes, well, you know what? I didn't hear it. It didn't ring. The signal man's like, Ugh. well, you know, you can kind of understand that, but... I heard the ring. It's a strange vibration. I'm not saying that you can see the bell moving or anything like that, and I don't wonder that you failed to hear it, but I heard the ring. And each time when I went out after hearing the ring, the specter was there. 
and the protagonist is like, well, come to the door. Let's look now. Is it there? They go, of course, it's no. not there. But the signal man is saying, I'm telling you, I saw it and it was there. And what you have to understand, what troubles me, is that I can't figure out what it's trying t- to tell me. And this digs into what, you know, Dickens must have felt this extreme sense of helplessness when he was in that train crash. Yeah. The signal man is saying, look, what can I do? If I signal down to the other guys on the line and say there's danger, they'll go, what kind of danger? And if I say a ghost danger, then they will think I'm crazy and ignore everything yeah. I say and I'll get fired and, and whatever horrible things can happen will still happen. Yeah, I can't tell them to just look out if I don't have any specifics, but it's crushing me because I know something bad is going to happen. And he feels completely helpless and he just doesn't know what to do. And he doesn't want to just let whatever's going to happen happen. But does he have a choice? Not really. And that's what the protagonist, you know, he feels bad for him and he kind of tries to reason with him. And he's like, look, the best that you can do is just discharge your duties faithfully. Yeah. I understand this anxiety you have, but as long as you're doing your job right, man, that's the universe working and it's out of your hands. And that actually seems to make him feel better. It does calm him down. And he, he says, well, you know, if you want, I'll stay here with you this evening, if that would make you feel yeah. better. And the guy's like, no, 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 fine. I can I can do this. But then our protagonist starts to think he's like, well, maybe I should do something about this. Maybe I should yeah. tell his superiors and maybe I should because this guy's crazy. This is a guy who has people's it's it is a menial job, but it is an important one. And it could cost people their life if if. If he goes nuts and things don't work out, yeah, should I find his superiors and say, you know, this guy needs a break? But then what if I'm wrong and this guy loses his job? Yeah. So the the protagonist doesn't really exactly know what to do. He just says, well, you know what? I'm going to let it go. He, he seems like when I left, he was pretty much on the ball, ready to do his yeah. job. He decides that he's going to do take like a middle course where he's not going to turn him in, but when he comes down the next night, he's going to recommend that they go see a doctor or something like that. Yeah, there's a local guy that he thinks is kind of an expert about this type of thing. And he said, "We'll go. I'll make him go see him with me and we'll get it all sorted out. The next evening, he says, you know, I'm going to go for a stroll and at the end of it, I'm going to go down and I'm going to see the signal man and I'm going to make yeah. this recommendation to him. When he goes towards the cutting, he steps to the brink and looks down. This is a point where he had first seen the signal man and he has this horrible thrill that runs through him because when he looks down, he sees a man with his left sleeve across his eyes, waving his right arm back and forth. But then he also sees another group of men standing around and then there's this kind of uh, could be a bed or something that's kind of a a tarp is laid over this kind of bed sized thing. That's down there, and he's not exactly sure what that is either. So he gets down there as quick as he can, and and when he gets down... He's like, what happened? And and he says, the the signal man was killed this morning. And he's like, what? You mean the guy guy that's in that box? And he goes, yeah, that guy. He goes, wait, are you sure? Because I know the signal man. And he goes, well... His body's over there, and that's what, you know, the bed was he's covered up on that, what he thought was a bed. You go over and take a look at him. He's still intact. You can recognize him. And he looks, and yeah, it's him. He's dead. And he says, what happened? It seems really crazy because nobody knew their work better. And I mean, this is not an accident that should have happened. The no. man was a total pro. He was a pro. But he knew what he, he was, was doing. out. He wasn't clear of the outer rail, and the train just ran him down. Yeah. He got hit by right it. Right at the mouth of the tunnel. Uh, and the engineer tells him kind of what, what went down. Coming round the curve in the tunnel, sir, he said. I saw him at the end, like as I saw him down a perspective glass. There was no time to check speed, and I knew him to be very careful. As he didn't seem to take heed of the whistle, I shut it off when we were running down upon him and called to him as loud as I could call. What did you say? I said, below there, look out, look out. For God's sake, clear the way. I started. Oh, it was a dreadful time, sir. I never left off calling to him. 
I put this arm before my eyes not to see, and I waved this arm to the last. But it was no use. Without prolonging the narrative to dwell on any one of its curious circumstances more than on any other, I may, in closing it, point out the coincidence that the warning of the engine driver included not only the words which the unfortunate signalman had repeated to me as haunting him, but also the words which I myself, not he, had attached, and that only in my own mind to the gesticulation he had imitated. That's the end of the story. That's the end of the story. Again, I'd recommend people watching that 76 BBC adaptation. It clears up things that might be a little difficult to uh, conceptualize in this. I think I, that for folks that read it at the time, um, the train accidents would have been very, would have been foremost in their minds. They would have remembered them just having happened. So it probably right. had a little um, extra bit of meaning to people in the 1860s. But what, what the heck happened in this story? Uh, this is commonly called a ghost story, but I uh-huh. I don't think it's a ghost story at all. Why not? I, I honestly, I think I think that the that the the signal man was some kind of. Uh, Precognitive individual, like somehow he had visions of the future. He, what he was seeing was his own death. Yeah, it wasn't about a ghost because you know that doesn't make any sense. Like if it was a ghost, the ghost is of a dead person. Let's, it's his ghost from the future coming back to warn him that he's going to die. What's really interesting about this story is that you really don't, and I think that's why it's such a, an effective weird tale is that it is so beyond the realm of understanding. That it, yeah. it goes into that realm of the weird. It's hard to say what's really going on because you're right. Now, now you could say that that was a ghost that was just like warning him or something like that. But there's a weird, there's weird coincidences that make it more than that. Like the fact that our protagonist waved and said hello below there, the same thing that the engineer said before he was run over by the train. Yeah. That's, so what does the protagonist have to do with it? Don't Is know. He par- he's part of this warning somehow. And yeah. then the other thing that confused me was when the signal man describes his first sighting of the ghost – that sighting of the ghost or the apparition is warning him about his death, not necessarily about that train crash, because the, the apparition is sh- putting his hand to his eyes and waving the the other hand. This is this is what specifically the engineer did before killing the signal man. Exactly. So was then the train crash that happened six hours later a coincidence? Yeah. What does that have to do with with his death? Because. The action that he was doing is in reference to his death, whereas the second time, the action that the specter was doing was in reference to the girl dying on the train. Well, you think, I mean, it was a different thing. It was kind of this weeping motion. And then the woman died instantaneously in the um, in the train car. I don't know. Is it I was wondering if the whole time the apparition was warning him about his own death and the other two accidents were just coincidence. I don't think so. I feel like this is something that maybe people on the forums or comments could kind of pipe in with because i don't oh yeah please help i I don't really know but i feel like it is all connected in some way i can't quite put the pieces together but maybe it's not actual it doesn't really make sense maybe not all of the pieces are there and you can't make sense of it but that's why i think it's really effective as a weird tale because exactly it, it does feel like it somehow everything does connect together but it doesn't actually connect together just that that inkling that it does makes it feel like it's a much bigger thing than it really is, which yeah. makes it really creepy and weird and strange. I feel this is my personal reading that I'm taking sure. away from it is that all of the warnings were for his own death. All of it was about him getting run over in the track. The other thing is that the man who tells him that at the end, the man who tells the protagonist, I was waving my, 
you know, the engineer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I was waving my arm and holding my arm across my... When he tells him that, he steps back to the mouth of the tunnel, the mm -hmm. exact place where the apparition has been seen. Exactly. So is the apparition some sort of, like, future foretelling of that exact action that happens right yeah. there? Yeah, I think so. And that's why I think that it's not a ghost story. I think it's somehow mm -hmm. this poor signal man was getting some kind of vision of his own death. And I think that's why Lovecraft says it's somewhere between psychology and, and romanticism. You know, it's this kind of, yes, fantastic things happen in the world that maybe foretell doom or, or have this romantic thing. But also you being human are going to falsely read it. You're going to get it wrong to your own misfortune, because in the end, yeah. he's the one he, he got killed because of this. Yeah. And ultimately... All of it did no good for him. Yeah. All of the stress, all of these visions, all of these things meant nothing. It, besides, it really made his last few days uh, horrible because he was so worried and freaked out. It's a complex story. It really is. And uh, I don't exactly know if, if I've got it all. You know, I feel like, mm -hmm. I've, I mean, I've read what other people have written about it and I feel like I've gotten it all. But maybe there's some other interesting aspect to it that I've, I'm, I'm missing. There's no pat answer. It's just a kind of a mystery. Yeah. And it's a great one. It's, yeah. a, it's a really cool story. I'm so glad that people recommended this yeah. to us and recommended the film. I, I didn't know it existed if people were Well, I haven't it seen it, so I'm going yeah. to watch it after our discussion here because it, it sounds great. Uh, now, for next week on the premium feed, we're going to be covering a, a big one. Yeah, this is something folks have been asking about for, for a while. It's like, when are you going to do some Mac and Well, folks, next week. Yeah, Arthur Mackin's masterpiece, The Great God Pan. And it might take more than one episode. I'm not sure. We're going to get into it and yeah. we're going to talk about it. There's a couple other Mackin stories that we want to discuss as well. Right. But we're not going chronologically through the essay, Supernatural Horror and Literature. We're just going to grab stories we want to cover here and there. Yeah. Uh, but what we're going to give you as much advance notice as we can about what stories we're reading next. So the, the next one is going to be uh, is going to be the, um, the Great God Pan. People are on the forums or in the comments. Say which, let us know which stories you want us to cover from Lovecraft's supernatural horror and literature. I want to thank Marty Jobson, who's been our very excellent reader today on The Single Man. Thank you so much for doing all that. And I want to thank all the folks that have supported the show so far and who continue to do so. We really, really, really appreciate it. And um, we're having a really good time doing this, so hopefully we can keep it up. I also want to give a shout out to Mike Mann and say that he is a fabulous designer and a great tech support guy. He is actually freelance right now. So if anybody out there is looking for some sweet designs... Mike Mann is your man, so go on over to his website. We'll put a link up on the show notes. Go to his website, check him out. He does corporate identity, he does branding, all that stuff. He has got the goods, so check him out. For this week, uh, we're signing off. I am Chad Pfeiffer. And I'm Chris Lackey, and you've been listening to the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. At hppodcraft.com. hppodcraft.com. <laughs>